This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Versus, the podcast that finally settles the little debates that are always a big deal to someone. I'm Coco Khan and this week our someones are Hannah J Davies and Yomi Adegoki, two writers who like their TV shows excruciating. That's excruciatingly funny and excruciatingly awkward. Hannah J Davies is a writer for The Guardian with a focus on culture and telly. For Hannah, comedy peaked in the early 2000s with the arrival of Ricky Gervais's The Office. And we should make clear we're talking about the spiky UK original, not the cuddly US version. Yomi Adagoki is a writer and columnist. She's co-author of the agenda-setting book Slay in Your Lane. Her latest book is a novel, The List, taking a look at the dark side of social media. It's hitting good bookstores right now. Don't miss it. For Yomi, TV shows don't get much smarter or funnier than Peep Show, the story of two hapless flatmates bumbling through life with each other. Hannah and Yomi are going stand to stand this week on two heavyweight TV comedies. It's The Office versus Peep Show. The Office, there's just something about it. It's that mix of the high highs, the low lows, and this character who like you've probably come across in some capacity or another. I think the fact that we went on to have things like The Apprentice, you know, did David Brent create a monster in that sense? I love all of the characters in Peep Show. That is in spite of their lack of likability. And I think that's what makes it such an excellent show. You root for Mark and Jez, despite them being quite literally the most terrible people in the world. But remember, which TV comedy reigns supreme is up to you, the listeners. After each episode drops, we open up the polls for you to vote on our website. We'll announce the winner in next week's episode. Now, warning, there will be spoilers. If you haven't checked out both shows, now would be a perfect time to binge through both. Last week, we were joined by podcaster Jack Pelling and rock and pop writer Will Hodgkinson for a dad rock showdown, The Beatles versus The Rolling Stones. And after the votes have been coming in for a week, the winner is The Beatles. Congratulations, Jack Pelling. And to The Beatles, another crowning achievement to add to the wall of gold discs. So back to The Office versus Peep Show. Before we hear from our guests, we should crunch some facts. It's time for another helping of Coco's Crunch. Office. First hit TV screens back in 2001. The creation of Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, who also starred in the show as office manager David Brent and his pal Nathan Oggy the Ogmonster, office nicknames in full force there. It tells the story of the Wernham Hogg Paper Company and its staff grinding through the mundanities of life on an industrial estate in Slough. 
Though he's now a household name and a Hollywood mover and shaker, at the time Gervais had been living a life far closer to the mockumentary's characters. In one interview around the topic, he said, Write what you know. I worked in an office for seven years. I started off on reception. Then I was assistant to the manager. And then I became middle management. I knew what it was like. The show has spawned several spin-offs, including the American incarnation starring Steve Carell, which replaces the Wernham Hogg paper company with the Dunder Mifflin paper company. The remakes are still happening, by the way, 20 years on, with Australia the latest to recast the insufferable David Brent this year with a female lead in a new upcoming series. Peep Show, where the office walked with cringe, Peep Show ran. Appearing a couple of years later in 2003, the show focuses on the often dreary and shambolic lives of flatmates Mark Corrigan, played by David Mitchell, and Jeremy Jez Osborne, played by Robert Webb. The pair are cooped up in close quarters in Croydon, South London. Mark is uptight, awkward, and works in middle management. Jeremy is a wannabe musician who's Rebel Without a Cause act often hampers Mark's high-minded ideals. Recurring characters include Sophie, Mark's love interest, played by a pre-global domination Olivia Coleman, and Superhands, Jeremy's equally unfocused musician mate. Peep Show ran for nine seasons and 54 episodes, winning a slew of awards in the process. The show was co-created by Jesse Armstrong, who would later take his razor-sharp comedy writing to a little-known show called Succession. Do check out our Succession vs. The White Lotus episode for a bit more on him. Coco's Crunch. So let's get into it. Hannah, let's start with you. You're going for The Office. What is it about The Office that makes you want to spend your own personal time in this awkward, dreary place? Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head in a sense saying, you know, Ricky Gervais based this on his own experiences working in office. And I feel like there's that relatability to the show that anyone that's kind of worked in any office in Britain can probably recognise, you know, the kind of organised fun and the megalomaniac boss and the kind of idea that even though you haven't chosen to be around these people, they do end up being like a huge, huge part of your life. I think it just captures something really universal in that sense. And yeah, probably deeply British as well, just like on a very awkward uh, level, the kind of social obligation that you end up feeling towards people who, yeah, you you don't really owe a lot to. Well, awkwardness is definitely the theme of these two shows. Um, Yomi, let's go to you now. I understand that Peep Show's for you. Also, am I right in thinking that you're from Croydon and this show's set in Croydon? Does that factor? Peep Show was filmed up my road, (laughs) as in quite literally up my road. I'm not exaggerating. Do you think that's part of the love? Do you think that you recognise some of yourself in it? I mean, well, the fact that something as, you know, sort of foundational to British culture as Peep Show was set in Croydon of all places, which doesn't tend to have the best rap um, or best reputation. Like, yeah, it definitely meant something to me. I mean, this was like pre-Stormzy. So yeah, it was quite, it was quite a great export, I think. But yeah, that's only a part of the reason that I love Peep Show. There are a myriad of reasons and that's just one very small reason it means so much to me. Okay, well, we'll get into all of them, hopefully. I guess my very first question, and I'm going to ask you both about it. Hannah, have you rewatched The Office? And on rewatch, how is it? On rewatch is absolutely excruciating in the best way. I think what's really good about the show as well is that it's so easy to rewatch. There's only 14 episodes and that's including the two Christmas specials. So that was like a weekend watch for me recently. Uh, Got my brother watching it for the first time. 
he was a bit reticent at first. He was like, oh, isn't this like 20 years old? And I was like, look, this is classic TV. You don't know. <laughs> you, you don't know TV until you've watched this. And yeah, I think it's held up really well. And yeah, I think there is just something so universal about it and just kind of shows that Britain hasn't really moved on in, in a lot of ways um, for, for, for better or worse in the last 20 years. In fact, we've probably got more and more uh, closer to uh, the David Brent kind of archetype, just as people. It is interesting, that idea of like, oh, it's kind of universal in a way, you know, we We've all had dead end jobs and we've all lived in crappy flats. Although some people haven't. Do you think that actually the office could work for people who have lived a more privileged life? You know, I think some people haven't, but... I don't know, there's just something. I don't, I'm, I'm careful to not slag off my own places or previous places of work. But I definitely, <laughs> like, for example, I had like a really terrible summer job when I was 16 in an office, uh, not in Slough, luckily, in central London. But it was the same vibe. There was the same like silly office practical jokes, awkwardness. There was, you know, people being told off for being three minutes late. You know, just that kind of weirdness that I think you can get anywhere regardless of your background and just this sense of obligation to people who like realistically, once you've left the job, you're never going to see again. Mm, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, actually, Yomi, let me talk to you about Peep Show. I think something that I was thinking about before we started recording was the idea that The Office has got some likeable characters, like Tim and Dawn, for example, are genuinely nice people. You support them. I couldn't really think of anyone in Peep Show that I liked. Do you think that likability is important in the show? Do you think it's even a good question to ask? Or have I got it wrong? Is there actually a secretly lovable person in this strange world? Um, I love all of the characters in Peep Show. Um, that is in spite of their lack of likability. And I think that's what makes it such an excellent show. You root for Mark and Jez, despite them being quite literally the most terrible people <laughs> in the world. And I think that's the genius that Jesse Armstrong then brought to Succession, which I think is brilliant by actually, you know, controversially think Peep Show is better. Because again, you see these characters that you hate you love to hate, but you also deeply root for. And I think that is genuinely, I mean, obviously both shows are hilarious, but I think um, especially within Peep Show, it takes real talent, real writing ability to write characters that are unapologetically dreadful and you still want the best for them. I remember I'd been watching Peep Show since I was at school and I remember watching the last episode some 10 years later and genuinely thinking, what am I going to do without my friends, Mark and Jeremy, who <laughs> I hate, I have nothing in common with. I'm I, obviously, despite us living, you know, on the same road pretty much, like I was like a young black girl that was like going through school and college and university and somehow saw so much of myself in these two you know, mid-20s, early 30s, white, middle-class men who were having all these, you know, improbable and like crazy, unrelatable in my personal life problems. And I think, yeah, it's a real testament, I think, to how well it's written that, you know, you care so much about them, despite them being awful. Okay, but Devil's Advocate, thinking about those later series of Peep Show, what's the quality there all the way? I actually think Peep Show is one of the only shows that actually has held up, not only held up in terms of, I think it aged phenomenally, to the point where when huge political events happen, like when Brexit happened, when Trump got into power, when Boris Johnson became prime minister, I remember genuinely wishing Peep Show was around. So I was like, I'd love to hear Mark's take on this. I'd love to hear Jez's take on this. So it really held up in that sense. But then I think even, you know, there's that whole thing of like, shows jumping the shark by like, let's say fourth, fifth series. I'm a big fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is quite similar in terms of it, you know, again, centering narcissistic, terrible characters. Sadly, I don't think that's actually held up, but the fact that Peep Show managed in my mind to have the quality that it did all the way up to series nine. Were the first series stronger? Yes. Were the later series still better than pretty much anything on television? Absolutely. 
Mm. Hannah, let's bring you in here. What do you think? The office finished too soon? And also just, you know, controversially, do you agree with Yomi's statement about Peep Show there? I think, you know, I think it's nice to keep things short and sweet sometimes. Obviously, you know, we have a lot of classic TV shows that have, you know, lots of episodes, but, you know, so many more than Peep Show even. I think The Sopranos is like nearing 90. So like, you know, you can go on and on if you want to. For me personally, I think Peep Show, if I'm honest, thinking about it now, could have been trimmed a bit. Uh, and I was actually reading, I was actually reading earlier, I was actually reading earlier that that was Channel 4's opinion as well and that they almost cut it. They almost cut it after series six because the viewing figures were going down. But then they heard that Yomi was still watching it, so they decided to keep it, decided to keep it going. Mean, but um Well <laughs> I mean, well, in the words of Superhands from Peep Show, I mean, people like Coldplay and voted Nazis. You can't trust people. Simple. Like, I mean, not everybody has taste. And I think the fact that they were gonna cut it after series six and then it continued all the way to series nine and was still excellent just shows that you know sometimes people make mistakes because <laughs> I do think one of Peep Show's strong points is the fact that it has so many episodes and that it's something that I do re-watch pretty much every single month every quarter certainly because there's so many episodes it's just endless and it's like you can just kind of have a Russian relay of like what shenanigans you're gonna find Jez or Mark in so yeah I think that they definitely made the right decision in keeping it going. And in fact, I wish that it would actually be rebooted. Not with the female leads, as has been flirted with multiple times. Certainly not as an American iteration. I don't think it would work. But I think just, you know, with the same actors, with David Mitchell and um, Robert Webb, it would be brilliant. Because it's a lot, I mean, it spoke a lot about, you know, topical affairs and what was going on in life. And I'd love to see their take on covid <laughs> and everything else that that definitely feels like something that netflix should be talking about you know after cobra kai I when they so. resurrected the karate yeah. kid i feel like mm. not channel four because channel four clearly didn't know what they had <laughs> um but we, we, look we're talking about remakes and reboots hannah you know the american office what do you think does it have the same je ne sais quoi should we watch that show and be like okay actually this is testament to how good the office uk was or should we watch it and be like oh what a sad sullying of this wonderful brand well, based on the 20 minutes that I've watched of the US office, I would say that it is a bit of a pale imitation. But then apparently Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant absolutely love it. And they actually wrote one of the episodes for season three of The American Office, which I thought was really interesting because obviously that continues on with its own story. So the fact that they're kind of still invested in it, even though, you know, it's taken their show as a jumping off point and gone in a completely different direction, I found that interesting. So it's kind of got their co-sign. I don't know whether it's quite got my co-sign, but I think as with any like reboot or remake, especially US, like it's a matter of taste as well, I think, isn't it more than anything else? Like I'm sure there are people who love both. I'm sure there are people who've only seen one or the other. For me, I just also really don't like re-watching things. So I think at least for those first two seasons, it might feel like I was re-watching the UK one in a sense. Mm, yeah. I mean, I read an interview with Ricky Gervais way back when where he was talking about the adaptation of the UK to US office and in that he said that fundamentally being part of the teams that adapted it he learned something about different ideas of humour and there is just something about the British idea of humour that is just not going to work in the States and that is about this kind of darkness gallows humour death the underlying messaging around that he was just like it just doesn't work there it doesn't quite work which makes it sound like the office uk is really bleak but actually truly peep shows more bleak they eat a dog <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean tell me what do you think do you one think, of my favorite episodes do, do you think that peep show is actually quite a tragedy yeah, oh, absolutely Shakespearean for sure. But that's, again, what I think is so brilliant about it. It is so devastating in so many ways. They joke about the unjokeable, essentially. And I think that's part of its brilliance that there is so much stuff in it that is, I mean, 
There's jokes about the fact they think that someone's sister has cancer when she doesn't. There's jokes about the um, Jeremy's dying uncle. There's jokes about, you know, as you said, they eat a dog. There's, you know, various things that probably shouldn't be funny, but are. And again, I think that takes real ability to do that. But the fact that I'm even talking about those episodes and like can't help but smile because I just like remember them so well. Just, yeah, I think it's definitely dark, but there's no kind of humour I think that is too dark. I think it's just very deeply very deeply British. We'll be back after this. Mm, Hannah, what do you think what, what about the office's dark trenches? I think it does get pretty dark, but in a way that I always get pathos and bathos mixed up. I think it's pathos. Like it always taps into that sense that like, God, isn't David Brent such a loser? But at the same time, you're like, oh God, like, are you hope that he is okay? Like, especially when he comes back in the two Christmas specials, he's been a one hit wonder by that point. He's no longer working with them, but he loves coming into the office, you know, and he gets told by the manager who's replaced him, Neil, he gets told, you know, you can't keep coming in here. And he's like playing it off like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Obviously I'm just here because all my mates are still here and they all want me here. And there's a bit of a heartbreaking moment where he goes, obviously like, you know, I'll stop coming in, but we'll all go for drinks, won't we? And no one replies, you know? And this idea that, like, he just keeps playing everything off as like, yeah, it's cool, no worries if not, that's it, no worries if not, you know? And actually, you do worry deep down. Uh, So I think there's that. And I think, you know, Coco, what you said as well about the US adaptation, how those don't always work because of the British humour and and what Ricky Gervais said on that. I think there's also something in there about just this British idea of, like, you say to someone, how are you? They don't tell you how they are. Mm. You're like, you're right. Yeah, fine, fine, fine. You know, there's that. That's always a surface level in the office. No one's ever really going to say what's actually wrong. And there's something a bit heartbreaking about that as well. You know, you've got Tim obviously pining after Dawn for so long. And, you know, he's fine to kind of just, well, not fine, but, you know, he kind of has to live with the fact that she's going to the US. And then, you know, basically he kind of has to take all of that unrequited, what he thinks is unrequited love, spoiler alert, and kind of like shove it right down. And it's like, God, how many times a day in Britain do you just do that? Do you just shove your emotions right down to a Mm. little, little ball of nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah. When you were talking about this is just an aside, but when you were talking about oh, David Brent keeps coming into the office, I was like, I keep coming into the Guardian. <laughs> I just keep coming in on a Wednesday. Like, we don't want you in. <laughs> we don't. We, we we don't want you there. But but I think especially so, the Office. It was it was the beginning of, of TV sitcom not having that laughter track of having that mockumentary style. It does have that more quote unquote serious vibe. So as a result, everything does have this veneer of professionalism as well, right? It's apparently a documentary about a workplace and apparently when people were first shown it focus groups were first shown it they thought it was real they like couldn't understand that this could be actually a comedy you know fictional so i think there's that as well again it's this veneer that you have just in british society everything's cool mate yeah yeah yeah. let's go get the beers in while you're all like secretly dying inside Mm, but i mean you brought up the mockumentary angle there i mean arguably office set in motion a format that we've now seen in so many different ways from parks and recreation to abbott elementary i haven't seen peep shows quite distinct kind of uh, fisheye lens. I haven't really seen that since. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. I was, I'm was, i so happy. I was like desperate to talk about its format. The fact that my sister had to actually study the format of Peep Show for like her, I don't know if it was like A-level or something in, in film studies or GCSE because it was so sort of groundbreaking. I've never seen it done 
in the same way, certainly not in a comedy, but also I think having that access to their thoughts. So I think in terms of what The Office did really well, I'm not someone who's watched like loads of it. Um, there's only like a few episodes, but I have watched at least a handful. And I do think what they do do well is that kind of like underlying, that understanding that, you know, people are saying they're fine and there's there's more to the story, like that very deeply British kind of sensibility of pretending things are fine, but they're not. What Peep Show I think perfected is you see people doing that very British thing of pretending things are one way. And then you literally hear what they think, what they actually think. And you have that like immediate insight into Jeremy and Mark's sort of deepest, darkest thoughts. And if, if anything, I think that's where most of the darkest humor comes from. Just that, I suppose, access to the real worst parts of human nature. We don't think, if we saw Peep Show without the kind of interiority of their thoughts, we wouldn't actually think they were that bad as characters. Maybe Jez, Jez is completely toxic, but Mark certainly like presents like a pretty passable face of like, you know, as a human being, but his entire kind of like thought process is just him being incredibly terrible, but also like being, we're very privy to like his insecurities, his like real thoughts about himself, his real thoughts about others, that kind of like real, I suppose, oscillation between a superiority complex and then like massive insecurities. I just think that that form was so groundbreaking. And I also think there is a real reason why like Peep Show's never been successfully adapted, whether that's for the States or any other country or just um, when they, you know, as they, they've said multiple times, they want to try and redo it with women. I think it was just such a, perfect program and you can't really clone perfection I think I think that it was they just kind of knocked it out of the park with that one and yeah I just think that part of its brilliance lies in how you know forward thinking the format of the show was so we've talked a bit about how um both shows are quite dark I think it's also important to say that both shows are really funny they both have a variety of humor from like slapstick comedy of you know famously the stapler and jelly but also just I don't know super hands going on a run and then not being able to run anymore and collapsing on the floor you know there's all these different types <laughs> musical numbers they both have musical numbers uh rainbow rhythms or free love on the <laughs> what is it free, free love on the free highway something free, like that yeah um but just 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 for our listeners who maybe aren't very familiar what are your two standout funny moments that you know live in your mind rent free goodness me gosh I would say well I mean you've kind of like this honestly endless but I'd say one of them would be rainbow rhythms mark going to that sort of hippie dance party or like I think it's some sort of class with Sophie and hating every moment of it but like pretending he's having a great time. And then so many of them actually do center on Mark. I'd say when Mark pretends to take ecstasy and, and is like pretending to trip, I just think Mark sort of like when he pretends to have his guard down, but like, as you can hear, like through his thought process is just so keenly aware of like trying to appear as though he's had his, his guard down is like so hilarious. Obviously it's nowhere near as funny me kind of like explaining on a granular level, but like when you watch it, it's like, yeah, I think the rainbow rhythm scenes and also, and of course them eating the dog is like top 10. Like was just very, very funny. Um, because obviously they didn't eat the dog like because they wanted to. I think they'd like knocked over someone's dog and then pretended that they were bringing the meat for a barbecue and then ate it to try and like, <laughs> as a red herring. 
I mean, I guess there is that is the most British thing, all the things you'll do to just avoid awkwardness. Like, I'll never forget that episode. Right, of Peep exactly. Show. There's like an episode of Peep Show where he's like, I think him and Jess are having a chat, and Jess is like, you can't marry Sophie because you're too awkward to say no. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. you can if you're British. Yes, you can. Um, <laughs> Hannah, what, about, what's your, what's, what lives in your mind rent free from the office? Well, I think there are just so, so many David Brent moments. So I'm going to swerve a David Brent moment for a second and say, ooh, and say the stapler and jelly just kind of encapsulates something about the absolute pettiness of working with people in an office and actually one of my unnamed colleagues does have a stapler with their name on it which I know they would go absolutely ballistic if anybody <laughs> looked at let alone touched let alone used so I think there's just something about that and the kind of petty games between Gareth and Tim which kind of continue all the way through you know even like as Gareth begins to rise the ranks you know Tim is still just always there like winding up a little bit too much um, and there's this kind of you know long running gag about him being in the territorial army and kind of thinking like he's a bit hard because of that and they all kind of make him say like things that he doesn't even realize that he's saying with like kind of double entendres uh in the christmas finale um and yeah it's this idea that like you just have these long-running frenemies enemies that you work with and it could be months it could be years but like you kind of can't escape them, which is relatable. And um, I think uh, so many David Brent moments, but I think obviously his dance, uh, he gets really into the uh, charity fun day, uh, the Red Nose Day, for which they raise a grand total of, I actually zoomed in on the check to have a little a little look, £120 for comic relief. Uh, <laughs> and he just does like the, the the classic dance, which I'm not going to recreate, but you know, with the arms. And it's just, it's just, there's something about that whole, that whole sequence and the idea that like he thinks that he's spreading this love and this joy. He thinks he's being super generous. And yet, you know, it, it, it all kind of comes down to this like megalomania. So Hannah, also while we're talking, I wanted to ask you about whether the show could exist now. And obviously Ricky Gervais, he's always on Twitter. He's always talking about how certain types of humour couldn't exist now, cancel culture before the show. You know, Yomi and I had a chat talking about whether Peep Show could be made these days. Maybe not. I wonder what your thoughts are on this. Do you think The Office could could exist today? Oh, it's a, a really interesting question, isn't it? Because obviously Ricky Gervais kind of has this, his career has taken a certain direction, let's say, uh, and he's maybe more closely aligned with some of the characters that he's played. <laughs> I think if, with that in mind, if, you know, he was starting his career out now, if he were 29, you know, he might have slightly different views. It's a, it's a pretty different time in the world. But I think the actual show itself, the content, the relatability, the universality could still definitely shine through. And I think the fact that it's been, you know, such a big inspiration for other shows since then, you know, for the likes of uh, People Just Do Nothing or uh, Satellites Flats kind of shows that, you know, whatever era you're in, the kind of mockumentary or not even mockumentary in the case of Satellites Flats, but just that work-life, work sitcom can just, you know, still really, really work. Sadly, we've actually run out of time, but uh, just your last chance to take it, to win the crown. Yomi, let's go to you. Your closing statement. Why is Peep Show just better than The Office? Peep Show is better than The Office because Peep Show is better than anything that's ever been on TV, including Succession, which would not exist if it wasn't for Peep Show. There are so many parts of Peep Show that are very prevalent in Succession, which is probably one of the best shows that has existed in a post-Peep Show world. It is absolutely hilarious. It is completely relatable despite being completely surreal and stupid it broke the mold with its format and it is just fantastic plus it's set in croydon yeah peep shows better than anything <laughs> 
And Hannah, in 60 seconds, let's hear about why The Office is the greatest British TV sitcom. I think, you know, this is a really difficult one. I do actually think Peep Show is a brilliant show. And obviously, as Yomi said, went on to have huge impact succession. But the 60 seconds isn't about Peep Show. So The Office, The Office is a TV masterwork. I think it came at a point in TV when things were really changing. You know, you'll hear in the show, you don't have things like a laughter track. It, it does have that seriousness to it. And as a result, every joke has to land. Everything has to be like really just brilliant material and I think that it is and I think that you know obviously Ricky Gervais gets a lot of the credit love him or loathe him but it's also down to Stephen Merchant uh, who was obviously the co-creator and co-writer as well and I think that there's just something about it it's that mix of the high highs the low lows uh, and this character who like you probably come across in some capacity or another I think the fact that you know we went on to have things like the Apprentice, you know, did did David Brent create a monster in that sense? We've got a lot of people with like really puffed up egos, a lot to say and not, nothing really behind it. But I think, you know, that's Britain. Well, thank you, Hannah J. Davies. Thank you, Yomi Adagoki. We will have to leave it there. One more reminder to you, our listeners, you decide. If you want to vote on whether The Office or Peep Show won this battle, then go to intelligencesquared.com forward slash versus or click the link in the podcast description to cast your vote. The poll is open and the winner will be announced via our social channels in a week. It won't be announced on next week's episode because, well, we're all done. This is the last in the current season. Versus is taking a well-earned break. Thank you to everyone who listened and voted over the past few weeks. And just a reminder, do track down Yomi Adagoki's new book, The List. If you're a fan of smartly observed wit folded into a compelling page turner, you're in for a treat. You've been listening to Versus, a podcast by Intelligence Squared. I'm your host, Coco Khan. This episode was produced and edited by Tom Hall. The executive producer was Farah Jassat. Thank you for listening. 